You're listening to And welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here for our monthly book news update. It's the mid-month episode for June 2020. Um, Rira, how's your June going so far? I know that it's, it's uh, a rhetorical question at this point, but um, how are you? I just want to say we are living in the darkest timeline. <laughs> it really does feel like that, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I said it in a previous episode, but uh, not much has changed, which really uh, disturbs me because <laughs> you would think that with with time passing that that the whole like COVID situation would uh, would be better and uh, with a lot of the violence that is happening would be better. But um, yeah, not much has changed and more things seem to keep piling up. I mean... I think that's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is also like um, this whole thing from COVID to the protests um, has been a real shock to the system. And it's a system that's been broken for, I mean, our entire lives pretty much. Um, And some might even say the entire lifetime of this country that we live in. So um, on one hand, it does seem like things are piling up, but on the other hand, they've been there like for years and are now being exposed through, um, I guess, I mean, a, a crude metaphor would be like this whole um, situation that we find ourselves in is kind of like, um, would you say it's like surgery or more like um, penicillin? Mm. Um, I, or is, it, is this a really bad allegory I'm building right now? Yeah. Well, like, it's good that um, things that were broken in our system are coming into light. And it's not just lip service anymore, that there is action happening, that the community is getting uh, really involved in uh, making those changes. So it is good. But at the same time, it's um, it's a lot. And, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> you, you need to find a balance between, you know, being active, being informed, but also taking care of your health. Because if you don't take care of your mental health, then um, really you can't contribute as much as you can. So yeah, um, it's been, it's been a balancing act for me and I'm pretty sure it's been a balancing act for a lot of other people. Yeah. I think because of social media and the fact that like news travels at the speed of data now um, it's, easier to stay um in touch and updated on things but at the same time it's a lot of information and it's a lot going on because there's so many like different things like even in our own book community and i guess we can um briefly talk about it i don't want to go too much into the whole paul kruger situation but um it was brought to light that an author that we um we promoted on our book club um, has been, I guess, revealed as a serial harasser of friends and women. And, you know, it's the type of thing that started as a series of subtweets that suddenly got um, bigger. And because the issue with him was so widespread, it was real hard to keep it a secret 
And I mean, for our, from our side, I think it would have been really easy to have missed this. Um, but it was brought to my attention by someone from the community who asked me about them and then, you know, digging into it and kind of reading what people are saying. And also the fact that um, he was also dropped by his agent as a result of these allegations. It got to the point where we as a book club that strives to promote not only Asian American voices, but diversity, equity, inclusion, um, couldn't just stand by and like also not do anything. So um, we did pull our coverage of his book from our podcast. Um, and um, we, we made a brief statement on Twitter, um, but it was the least we can do to, you know, make up for and also address this new information that we have received, you know, because that's the thing. Like once you get new information, like you have to, you know, take action, also take responsibility. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's why we did what we did. So, yeah. And also we have like people who have listened to our podcast, like, you know, they, uh, may have been victims of the harassment. So, um, yeah, it was really the least we could do um, by yeah. pulling the episode um, and, our, and our coverage. So um, thank you to those who bravely spoke out and thank you to those who brought our attention uh, to the matter. And we're going to move on. <laughs> we're going to move <laughs> on to, uh, to yeah. our news episode there's a lot to go over. There's a lot to go over. There's a lot of great news. I mean, throughout this, you know, quarantine, everyone's kind of like, what's going on? Are people still making stuff? And people are still making stuff and people are still getting deals and people are still like, there's a lot of really great books coming up in the next few years that we're super excited about. So yeah, Rira, why don't you start us off with the first story? Okay, our first story is Kanath acquired Nobel Prize for Literature winner Kazuo Ishiguro's newest novel, Clara and the Sun. The story follows a highly observant artificial friend, Clara, who monitors the shoppers who come into her store, hoping that someday a customer will choose her. Publication is set for March 2021. I'm intrigued. But also, this sounds like... I mean, Kazuo Shiguro is known for writing bummers, right? I mean, I don't mean that in a pejorative way. Like, his, his stories are melancholic and really introspective. And like are not necessarily um, like feel good pieces, right? I think uh, Kazuo Ishiguro is definitely one of those author who, um, you know, takes the time to reflect on what is happening in the world and incorporate that into his story. Uh, so yeah, it could feel like a bummer, but it can also be a reflection of, of the truth that we're living in today. And uh, a lot of people don't understand that writing is political. Like there is no neutral ground for it. So um, yeah, like Akazu Ishiguro is the author of Never Let Me Go for those who are unfamiliar with the name. And Never Let Me Go was a book that we have covered uh, for our book club. Yeah. Next up, Holiday House acquired Ching Zhuang's picture book, Rainbow Shopping. Set in Manhattan's Chinatown, the book celebrates the joys of a mother-daughter trip to the grocery store. Publication is scheduled for summer 2022. Oh. I hope it's an I've Asian never grocery store. In, yeah, it's an Asian <laughs> grocery. Probably Chinatown. I, I will say that I have never liked 
my grocery trips with my mother really? <laughs> or just grocery trips in general. I hate grocery shopping. Actually, Dan is the one who grocery shops uh, <laughs> in this household because I hate it so much. <laughs> I mean, but trips with your mom to the grocery store is when they, she buys you candy. It's like, you know, you find that one. What do you, like you, always get what one do you thing, mean? Right? Like when I would go with my mom, like when we would pick up seafood, she would like, like, like she would like ask me like oh which crabs do you want for dinner and it's like oh wow i'm gonna pick the animal that i'm (laughs) that we're gonna kill to eat uh not really a pleasant experience i mean Um, i guess i wasn't as thoughtful a child as you were uh, when i was a kid but uh, (laughs) i mean it, it yeah uh not not a grocery shopping fan for sure uh did not get candy or or that many treats either. Um, next up, Avon acquired debut author Julie Chu's The Donut Trap, which follows a woman working at her immigrant parents' donut shop and who is living a monotonous routine until she reunites with a old college crush. After a disastrous dinner with his mother, she realizes that maybe he isn't as perfect as she thinks, and worse, he doesn't think she is either. Publication is set for fall 2021. Okay, I get the donut part, but what's the trap part? Is this like some sort of parent trap? No. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm sure the book will book will really uh reveal why it's called that. Um have I'm you curious. been you you've been to Donut Man, right? I, I feel like everyone has if you live in the six two six area. Um I haven't been to Donut Man, but I have been to like we do have a local donut shop in our city called Uncle Joe's Donuts. Um, that's our local place. Yeah, Donut Man is uh, out in Glendora, and it's a really, really small. Well, that's like the other side of LA from me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't go that far for donuts. Um, I, I've I've done a couple of like late night trips to to get donuts from Donut Man, <laughs> uh, and I think it's run by a Japanese American family. Okay. Uh, if if I'm correct, I'm not sure, but yeah, yeah, it's and it's great donuts. If you ever come to LA, uh, definitely check it out. Asian-owned donut shops are a big cultural thing in Southern California. A lot of refugee families who came over post-Vietnam War were able to provide for their families through opening donut shops in their communities. So I think um, if this is what this book is about or centered around, I think it'll be really interesting um, in addition to the uh, rom-com plot that's on top of it. Do you have a favorite uh, donut Flavor. I like a good glazed donut, but um, I like the ones, um, I think they're called old-fashioned, where it's more dense ah, and cakey. I see. I like those a lot. I don't like the jelly-filled ones. Oh, man, I love the, the jelly-filled jelly. <laughs> I love the I, jelly-filled ones. <laughs> I don't want stuff in my donut, is the thing. Uh, I, my, my favorites are jelly and probably, like, maple. Mm, maples are good. Maple bars? Yeah. Maple, yeah. yeah, maples are pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Feiwei and Friends bought The Silence of Bones author Jane Hur's new YA historical mystery, The Red Palace. Set in 1750s Korea, the book is based on the well-known Korean story of the tragic relationship between Prince Sado and his father. After a bloody massacre takes place at court, 17-year-old palace nurse Hyung and 18-year-old police inspector Yojin. I think it's I think it's Ojin. It's romanization's <laughs> weird. And 18-year-old police inspector Ojin 
must clear the crown prince's name after he's accused of the murders. Publication is scheduled for winter 2022. Oh, yeah. I love historical uh, s- historical murder mysteries. And <laughs> uh, June Her's The Silence of Bones is... Um, we've talked about that book a couple times on our show. And um, it's also like a Korean historical mystery. And it follows uh, a teen, Tamo. And Tamo is like an indentured servant indentured mm-hmm. servant to the uh to the police officers so uh yeah definitely excited to read this one as well um i don't know anything about the story that it's based off of like the prince sado and his father my korean uh-huh. history is just terrible so <laughs> maybe i'll learn more about it before i read it i'm sure there's a drama about it somewhere you can watch there's there's a historical like drama for every like tragic monarch. <laughs> <laughs> um, next up, Harper Collins acquired North American rights to a sequel to Tana Lai's National Book Award winning novel, Inside Out and Back Again. Set two years after Ha and her family fled Saigon at the end of the Vietnam War and settled in Alabama, the book follows Ha, who learns her family is to move again, this time to Texas for greater opportunities. In many ways, settling in a land with real cowboys and fresh papayas proves even more daunting than her time as a brand new refugee. It's set for winter 2022. A lot of Southeast Asian books coming out or authors getting deals, which um, it's good to see. As much as I love um, Viet Thanh Nguyen, it's good to see other voices getting getting play as well. Like it, it, it gives a little bit of hope that maybe we aren't in the darkest timeline although we are in a dark timeline um where the publishing industry can change um well there's definitely um i mean we'll talk about this later in our news part of the episode but there's been quite a shake-up in in the publishing industry recently so yeah definitely change is coming yeah all right, next up, Kids Can acquired the middle grade graphic memoir Yellow Singing Sail by Yi Fang Huang. Set in China during the one child policy era, the memoir details the author's adolescence as an only child and the struggle to forge an artistic identity and find friendship, made even more challenging by a move from a small town to a big city. Publication is set for spring 2023. Ooh, middle grade graphic memoir. Yeah, I mean, it's it sounds like a great book that can help build a lot of empathy. So congrats to um, Yin Fang. Um, and yeah, looking forward to seeing, seeing the art, actually. I'm interested in that. <laughs> uh, next up, Viking acquired Sarah Kuhn's contemporary YA novel from Little Tokyo. The novel follows an orphaned mixed-race Japanese teen who doesn't believe in fairy tales until she learns her presumed dead mother is not only alive, but is also a famous movie star. She teams up with a charming young actor on a romp through L.A. to find the truth about her past. Publication is planned for summer 2021. I'm excited just because it's another book that will be set in L.A. In Man, like, Sarah's, Sarah's killing it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm super excited that it's going to be set in a part of L.A. that isn't usually highlighted in books. You know, it's not Hollywood. It's not the West Side. It's not Beverly Hills. Um, and it's a community that we're both... Um, a part of so yeah congrats to sarah that's awesome um next up in a two book deal philomel bought world rights to poet jillian c's books my love for you is always illustrated by michelle lee and you are my favorite color illustrated by nina mata 
told over the course of cooking a traditional Chinese meal. My Love for You centers the enduring love a mother has for her child. And the second features a parent encouraging a child to be proud of and comfortable in their skin, whatever shade it might be. Publication is planned for fall 2021 and summer 2022, respectively. I'm particularly interested in the second picture book, You Are My Favorite Color, because yeah. it it explores uh, colorism. And mm. uh, that is not something that is just in... Uh, the black community is it's very prevalent in the Asian uh, and Asian American community. People with darker skin, uh, they you know they get made fun of quite a bit. It's not, of course, it is like nowhere near the same as uh, as the black community, but it's there. And uh, it's really nice that it's a parent encouraging their child to say like, "Hey, like you're beautiful, no matter what shade you are," because that yeah. that is like the opposite of. <laughs> Of like what usually I mean, happens. Yeah, it's interesting because like the colorism comes in in the form of like macroaggressions and also restrictions, right? Like girls aren't allowed to go play in the sun because they might get dark or they aren't allowed to, you know, be physical because they might bulk up. And it's like there's a lot of like ingrained internalized patriarchy that is um, also combined with colorism in a lot of cultures and, and specifically in Asian cultures um, that it's worth it to um, address. And I think because it's a picture book, it's a good way to both teach kids and also the parents reading it about, um, like, like I said, again, empathy and how to be like not a dick. Um, I actually had paler skin when I was living in the East Coast. But then ever since I moved to California, my skin naturally got darker because, you know, the I mean, sun be, here is yeah. ridiculously intense. And no matter how much sunscreen I put on, it's, you know, my skin is going to burn a little bit. And uh, <laughs> family members who have visited me, you know, they comment on it like offhandedly being like, oh, you should, you know. Make sure to wear sunscreen. Like your skin is starting to look like soy sauce. And I'm like, okay, that's really inappropriate. <laughs> just tell uh, them it's what all the white people do. Like they love getting tan. So like it's it's a... It's uh, we're, a we're not going to get into that because they, they've made comments of, about that as well. So um, Jeez. yes, yikes. <laughs> um, next up, Macmillan's imprint acquired world English rights to Jesse Q. Sutanto's Theo Tan and the Fox Spirit, as well as its sequel. This middle-grade fantasy series features Theo, a Chinese-American boy, in a world with magic spells instead of smartphones, and Theo tries to solve the mystery of his brother's death with the help and hindrance of a mystical fox named Kai. Publication of the first book is scheduled for early 2022. If anime and Chinese folklore and Asian folklore in general has taught me anything over the years, it's never trust a fox spirit. Yeah, that is a that is a thing that crosses over all <laughs> Asian folk folktale and myths. I mean, they're technically like they're pretty much the Loki's of our myth, right? They're like the trickster gods, usually. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats to Jesse. Marvin, what's next? Harper Collins acquired Unsettled, a middle grade novel in verse by Reem Faruqi the author of Layla's Lunchbox. The story follows Nura, whose family has recently moved from Karachi, Pakistan to Peachtree City, Georgia, where she wants to blend in at school but stand out in the swimming pool like her star athlete brother. Together, the siblings find a way to overcome prejudice, make new friends, and learn the meaning of becoming settled. Publication is set for summer 2021, and the deal is actually a two-book deal, so um, details for the second book There might be a sequel, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh man, Peachtree City, Georgia. <laughs> I know where that is. That's it's very, the suburbs it's very of Atlanta, close. right? Yeah, it's close to where I used to live. <laughs> uh, man, I'm really interested because, uh, yeah, like I mean, I mean, Georgia is like more diverse than it used to be. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure, like what, like what time frame this is set at, and like what school district it is, because depending on the school district. Your your school can be like all white people or like or like forty percent Asian people. So mm-hmm. so I'm like really interested in like how um like what the setting is like. Yeah. yeah. It's like my first time seeing a book, like a children's book that is set in Georgia. So And I am not not and not like the city of Georgia, but like the suburbs, right? Where Yeah, like the suburbs. Not like up. not like Atlanta or or Savannah and 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 like set during slavery. So it's nice to get like a contemporary piece that's set in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, Next up, Simon & Schuster, Penguin Random House Australia, and Usborne Publishing UK have bought A Glass House of Stars by Chinese-Australian author Shirley Marr. The story follows the immigration experience of an 11-year-old girl and is based on the real childhood story of the author, brushed with a touch of magical realism that includes magical gardens, cat gatekeepers, and an ever-changing house. A Glass House of Stars marks Mars' middle-grade debut in the U.S. and U.K. Publication is planned for summer 2021. Woo, an Aussie author. That sounds really fun. Um, I think, in, especially in this day and age, um, where we're trying to find... Um, a way to replace the void left by she who will not be named. Um, it's cool to have something like this that has such a um, such a fun aesthetic and of like t- magical realism. You know, it really reminds me of uh, Studio Ghibli films. So, yeah. like you have you have cat gatekeepers. So you have like that one movie about cats. Like I forgot the title, Cat's Tale. I don't know. Don't don't sue me. Um, and, and an ever changing house that kind of reminds me of House Moving Castle. It sounds yeah. really fun. Yeah. Um, next up, Scholastic acquired Baraka Beats by debut author Maliha Siddiqui. In this middle grade contemporary novel, a Muslim girl joins a boy band in an effort to find her place at a new school, but struggles to reconcile her new friends' interests and her own faith. Publication is slated for twenty twenty one. So is this like a um? A Mulan type situation? No, oh. don't don't bring Mulan into this. <laughs> I hate it when like when like the whole trope of like where a girl dresses up as a boy or or like joins like a male activity. Like I don't like it being compared to Mulan. Like I feel like that's become such a shorthand for that trope. I mean, and it's yeah. nowhere like it, it's oh, it doesn't matter like if the story is like nothing like Mulan. It's just I don't know. Uh, I think over time, like my irritation for it has grown. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Um, <laughs> I think for me, it's like the touch point that I that I gravitate towards because it's you know the easiest way to describe like girl cross dresses to fit in. Um, but it doesn't seem like she's like trying to cross cross dress like, or anything well it doesn't seem like she's trying to like pass as a boy though i, I didn't get that from this um this yeah. description i, I wonder um, if like the the publicist or the or like the publishers they like they meant like an actual band and not like a boy band 
Because yeah, it, like, it just like sounds a... like really, I don't know, it, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah. But we'll see as as it approaches. Um, it, it comes out in 2021. So I guess like as we get closer to that, uh, to to that date, we'll see more information on it. So uh, congratulations yeah. again to Malia Siddiqui. So yeah. Yeah. And that was our last book deal. So we're going to oh, move no, on. We have to one more new- actually. Oh, we do. Um, oh, okay. Breaking sorry. news from last week. StarWars.com announced a new anthology um, collection called From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back, a new anthology to celebrate the um, 40 year anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. So this is, uh, I guess, the second one of these anthologies that they've done collecting um, a series of short stories, I think 40 short stories um, that are canonical to the original timeline, because um, I don't know how big of a Star Wars fan you are, Rira. Um but back in the day, uh, when the expanded universe was still technically canon, there were a lot of these anthology books called like Tales, like Tales from Mos Eisley, where um, like a lot of authors came and wrote short stories about all the characters that were in that cantina at the same time as Han Solo and Luke were, you know, doing their deal. And what's really cool about this anthology is like the list of authors are very diverse, and a lot of them are like old friends of ours. Yeah, like some of the some of the authors that. Uh you know, that are familiar names to us are Mike Chen, Lydia Kang, R.F. Kuang, C.B. Lee, Charles Yu. I think Sarah Kuhn is also um, one of the writers as well. So a lot of people who we've interviewed on this show or read their books as part of our book club. Um, From a Certain Point of View arrives November 10th and is available on pre-order now at StarWars.com. I'll probably get it. You probably will. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and yeah, that's it for um, the publishing news for this past month. Um, quite a bit of deals. I'm really happy for all the um, all the authors who are able to um, get their books out there. Um, although hopefully they got good deals because that is a story that we'll be touching on. A, <laughs> yeah, that a is bit a, later. that is a story. Oh yeah, that's a story. <laughs> all right. Um, as always, the book deals we we compile that through uh, Publishers Weekly for those who want to. Um, look more into those book deals. All right. So um, let's move on to um, book news. Um, Rira, why don't you start us off with this really exciting first story? Uh, Okay. So Netflix and Fresh Off the Boat creator Nanashka Khan are developing an adaptation of Indonesia-based author Jesse Q. Sutanto's upcoming novel, Dial A for Aunties. Um, Yeah, Jesse, we've mentioned earlier in in our book deals uh, yeah. for this episode and also I feel like, our I last like just, mid-month episode yeah didn't we just announce this book deal like yeah um, yeah so we announced it back in our may 2020 mid-month episode and for those who have not listened to that episode uh Dow a for aunties has been pitched as crazy rich asians meets weekend at bernie's and the story focuses on a young wedding photographer who along with her mother and aunts tries to hide the body of a blind date while working the wedding day of a wealthy client. So Sounds fun. I just wonder who uh, who's going to be cast for this. Like Yeah. <laughs> and like I'm really interested in the depiction of the aunties because I feel like it's it's such a fine line sometimes when you deal with aunties like capital A aunties because like you can really easily go into like stereotype territory. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of different kinds of aunties. So I'm excited to see like what they do here. And this is really awesome because I guess she was able to option 
the adaptation before her book even came out, right? So it must be well. That's usually that's usually the case because mm. um, a lot of a lot of the times, like production companies, they get um, they get like the the manuscript first, and right. they get like a first pass <laughs> at it, and then they contact the agent for book rights, and it's it's a whole complicated. <laughs> Whole complicated yeah. feature. Um, I worked. I worked at a, a like a production company that like specialized in in like reading manuscripts and getting options. So, right. uh, yeah, it's there's a lot of bad bad books that may <laughs> make it to the slush piles. So I'm glad that this book got picked up so quickly by by a production company. Yeah, Netflix on top of that too. So, I mean, having the Nashka Khan attached to it doesn't hurt and. Like the cynical part of me, like the cynical business side of my brain also knows that pitching it as like Crazy Rich Asians meets Weekend at Bernie's also helps because those are the key, like Crazy Rich Asians, I feel like are the key words that are buzzy in the industry as of like the last two years, you know, so um, it's it's smart of them to draft on that. And, and I'm excited that um, this will get made. Yeah. And any movie or book that takes place during a wedding, it's always going to be a hit. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so if you have been paying attention to publishing news, um, over the last week, week and a half, I guess, uh, you, you probably noticed a hashtag blackout bestsellers. Um, so I'm just going to briefly go over, uh, what that campaign was. Uh, it was launched June 14th by Tracy Sherrod of Amistad Press. And uh, pretty much the purpose of the hashtag was to encourage readers to buy at least two books by Black authors. Uh, this way, it shows the publishing industry that Black authors are marketable, uh, that you know there is an audience out there, and that they can be bestsellers. And um, you know, for that week, many Black authors made it to the New York Times bestseller list, as well as like indie bestsellers, Barnes and Noble bestsellers a lot of lists and um, a lot of the um, and like the, some of the most notable bestsellers were um, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, uh, How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, uh, Stamped by Jason Reynolds, and uh, So You Want to Talk About Race by Ijoma Oluo. So um, you probably saw those books floating around Twitter and also like a lot of articles that listed um, anti-racist books over the past month. Yeah, I mean, again, the cynical side of my brain is saying, yes, take advantage of the situation. Take that white guilt money because um, I don't like... I don't. I mean, it is cynical of me to say, but I don't think these books would be on these people's radars if it wasn't for the current shitty situation that we're in. So um, it's really to, unfortunate that it took yeah. like an uprising for these books to actually get noticed, um, especially some of them who have been in publishing for you know over a decade. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like. All of a sudden, people want to learn about racism. And so there are all these resources available. So you don't have to ask your one black friend um, to explain things to you. Um, but also, ha did you see this backlash against black bookstores um, that's been going around? No, I haven't. Uh, fill me so, in. So apparently, because 
these books are so popular. MPT Bookscan reported that political science civil rights books saw a 300% increase in sales from May 17th to May 23, while anti-racist and discrimination books saw a jump of 245%. So a lot of people are buying these books and they're buying them from black booksellers, which you know people are encouraging because you know you want to support your independent bookstores. But apparently a lot of them are getting pissed because it's taking so long for their books to get here. Uh, and they're blaming the booksellers for like, not being good at their jobs for like delaying. Oh, the that's orders. like the story of like my local bookstore, and it's not even like black owned. I feel like all independent books booksellers are going through this right now, and they're canceling their order, saying, "I went out of my way to buy White Fragility or the New Jim Crow, and you're not getting to me in time. I'll, I'll just buy from Amazon." <laughs> and it's like, well, first off, fuck those people. <laughs> And, and it's not even the bookseller's fault. It's like, if you're going to buy, if everyone's going to buy the same book, that book's going to be out of stock, which means the publisher needs to print more books, which takes time. Yeah, like the thing the thing is, like I I looked at some of the numbers for, for these books. I think How to Be Anti-Racist, I think originally they only printed like 50,000 copies. And that yeah. is like way too little for for the audience right now so of course they have to like go into reprinting which takes time yeah. like you said and so blame bad demand planning for not anticipating an uprising and also like learn about supply chains yeah and like the people who are complaining that like you know the book is taking too long to be delivered to me uh, i'm going to cancel my order you can always buy the audiobook on libro fm you can, like a lot of bookstores, they sell ebooks through um, through Paper Trail and through Kobo. And yeah. it's just, it's so frustrating. And also, mm-hmm. um, Stamped by Jason Reynolds, that's actually free right now on Spotify. So, yeah, like I, I'm not so sure about like profit splitting when it comes to that because they must have like, because of copyright reason, it it should go to the author in in some capacity. That's what I mean, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, but the thing, but the thing is, like, if you are if you are impatient to get your book, like, listen to it as the order is being processed. <laughs> so, so it, it like I I don't understand. Like, well, you you know why? On. It's because they can't Instagram it to show that they're learning. Also, being like, super cynical. <laughs> The thing is, like with blackout bestsellers, this isn't just, you know, oh, let's like we we did it for this week. We're done. Like, no, you need to do that for like pretty much forever Um, (laughs) because it's so unfortunate that it took this long for these books to be recognized and uh, for black authors to be recognized in other lists as well and other genres and it's yeah. just like every like I think it it would be a good habit for book buyers to buy a book by a black author or buy a book by an author of color every single time you go into a bookstore. So if you're going to buy a book by a white author, like make sure you buy an extra copy for an author of color. It'll really help with sales and bringing them up uh, on the bestsellers list. So yeah, speaking of bestsellers, um, that brings us to our next story, which um trended i think about a week ago it's it's so wild that like the actually it trended at the beginning of the month and it's it's still ongoing yeah so um tell me about publishing paid me okay so publishing paid me was a hashtag that's that was started by ya author ll mckinney and uh that hashtag started on june 6th so beginning of the month and it's still ongoing um and the whole point of the 
the whole point of the hashtag was like was meant to shed light on the on the pay disparity between white authors and black authors specifically. And um, a bunch of authors, they shared uh, the advances that they got, the, the amount of money that they got um, before their book got sold or before right. their book got published for those who don't understand what an advance is. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, think, explain yeah, advances we, we, to me. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> to me, Marvin. <laughs> I, I really wish that... Um, we've, we've always said we want to get a publisher or... Like we want to get like a publisher agent on our podcast to talk about this kind of stuff because um, it is interesting. And so, um, so advances are what the publisher pays the author before um, taxes and the agent's cuts are taken out. Um, so authors don't receive any additional money or royalties until they earn out their advance. So if you get like a $10,000 advance uh, until your book makes $10,000 in sales, um, you don't get additional royalties from that book. So the higher the advance that the, the author gets, the more the publisher believes that the book will sell. And I think for a lot of authors, like the advance is like what they get paid for their book, right? Because a lot of books don't earn out. Oh, yeah. Mo- most books don't earn out. And also, yeah. um, the advance isn't just given all at once. Like, they'll give it to you in, like, increments. So it's not like yeah. you get all of the money at once. And um, and sometimes, like, these books take, like, more than three years to get published. So, yeah, like, the money isn't, like, depending on how high the advance is, like, you're not going to be able to live off of it. Yeah, and a lot of authors, I, I think, unless you're a proven author, you, you don't get the multiple book deals, right? So you don't even get the advance until you finish your manuscript, which can take years. You know, they're, like, advances fluctuate depending on, like, how your book got sold did it get sold at auction um are you part of like is it got did it get sold to like the big five publishers but that's like all miscellaneous information uh the main point of this hashtag was to show the disparity in pay uh between black authors and white authors uh, as well as authors of color and i was really appalled seeing the numbers like i always knew that there was like a pay disparity but like the humongous gap yeah it's pretty egregious um so just to give some examples of of some numbers uh jasmine ward uh received a hundred thousand dollar advance for her book sing unburied sing and that was after she like really fought for it it was like a very fierce negotiation and her previous book salvage the bones received a twenty thousand advance and that book won a National Book Award in 2011. So, like, her book won this really big award. And, like, her next book barely, like, like she had to yeah. fight to get that first $100,000 advance for, like, as her follow-up. And Sing Unburied Song also won the National Book Award uh, the year it came out. Uh, I think it was, like, in 2017. So, Jasmine Ward is the first author to win two national book awards if if i'm correct so a very yeah. notable author who had to fight their way to get like a decent advance because i don't even think a hundred thousand is that high for an award-winning author who like wrote a hit like it's not and you know there's a lot of ways that the industry uses to justify this like oh this is just what we're paying other authors in your bracket or in your category which just is like i mean when we talk about systemic racism and systemic discrimination this is what we mean like the mere fact that you are a female person of color 
means that we believe the stuff you write will make less money than this like other white dude. You know? And it's it's, it's like baked into their data, right? I mean, that is what, I mean, movements like this seek to question because a lot of times these advances are like they're secret too. People don't like talking about how much they make because of this like sense of like humility that society places on people. Like you shouldn't brag about how much you make because what if you make other people feel bad? But like at the same time, if you don't know how much people make, how do you know that you're not being screwed? Yeah, it's a, it's a scam that, you know, uh, executives have made up so that they can continue, uh, you know, like paying people of color less, paying uh, people who are from marginalized communities less. Um, yeah, well, actually, I mean, compared to like yeah. compared to like white authors, because the movement has spread and a lot of like allies have also been like releasing their their information like um, Chip Creek, a white author, received eight hundred thousand dollars in advance for his debut. For his debut, Cape May, like his first book, received like eight times what this, what um, Jeslin received as a person who established, won an award winning author. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm going to correct something that I said earlier. Jasmine Ward is the first women author to win oh. twice for, uh, <laughs> for the National Book Award in fiction. So, yeah, yeah like a groundbreaking author. And, you know, not to go, not to, like, assume too much, but, like, I'm sure the National Book Award has a history of, like, not recognizing women, too, right? Oh, yeah. They, they, there was some stuff that went down this week um, that I'm not, <laughs> that I'm not going to dig into because, because I've been off social media for so long because yeah. uh, it's, it's just been, everything has been on fire. But another yeah. really notable Black author who, you know got like the short end of the stick when it comes to uh, her advances was N.K. Jemison. Uh, she re- received a $25,000 uh, advance for each book in her Broken Earth trilogy, which is so crazy to me because it, it's so wild to me. Um, she's the first author to win the Hugo Best Novel Award three years in a row. And like her follow-up trilogy to uh, to the Broken Earth trilogy, it received an advance for $60,000 per book, which is still like way yeah, too that's... low for me for someone who won like the Hugo Awards three times. And it's not even that like, sure, like if you set that bar low, obviously as an award-winning author with a good following, she's going to earn out and earn royalties and she'll still make money. But like we can't look at it as like how much money she makes overall for the book. We have oh, to no, look not, at it as like this is how much the industry is willing to invest in you because of who you are. Because I guarantee if she was like, if she was not like a black woman author, sci-fi author, she would be getting at least double that, if not more. Like... Jeannie Cummins, who like is the author of the controversial American Dirt um, novel about the border, which got like huge backlash from like the literary community in general, um, which still ended up being a New York Times bestseller and still like is got picked up by a movie because it got plugged by Oprah. Um, she received a seven figure advance from auction for that book. Like it's yeah, and like the people yeah. who who are gonna say like, well, that was like a literary fiction novel, and N.K. Jemison is a sci-fi author. Sci-fi doesn't get as much high of an high high of an advance. Like, come on, like I'm I'm pretty sure that there are some white male sci-fi authors who received like six-figure advances 
for their novels. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, but I, mean, I also want to... Including wanna... all the, like, all the... Like, so a lot of Asian authors have also participated in this hashtag. And the amount of money that they've disclosed that they've received for advances. Uh, yeah, like, there, yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, I was really, really appalled. And um, there are some Asian authors who had posted their advances, but then they took it out. Uh, they deleted their tweet because the conversation around uh, what publishing paid me, it kind of shifted. It shifted from showing uh, the, the, the wealth disparity uh, to like, white authors being like, well, this is how much I made. And, you know, a lot of like white guilt and it it just kind of like detracted from, from like actually showing support to authors of color. Um, So for the numbers that I pulled for Asian authors, these are, these are the authors who have not deleted their tweet. So um, yeah, some of the numbers that I have here is Rin Chupeco received a $15,000 advance for her The Girl from the Well duology. So two books for uh, $15,000 in total. And then her Bone Witch trilogy got a $45,000 advance. So three books for $45,000. Not a lot. Uh, This number really, really shocked me. Cindy Pon received a $300 advance for Serpentine in 2015. 300 like and her and her book want which is a sci-fi novel that i have raved about on this show that that book only got $17,500 for yeah. their advance um another really shocking number was Viet Ten Wen who wrote the sympathizer he received a $35,000 advance for that book and that was his only offer for a Pulitzer winning novel. <laughs> like, like, yeah. And again, like, I feel like, I feel like we need to repeat that. Like, it's not that these authors didn't end up making their money back and earning tons of royalties and like, you know, making decent money off these books. Um, that's not the point. Like the point is based on these advances, you see like the ingrained systemic assumptions that industry places on authors of minority communities and like when you compare that to the advances given to white authors who may have less experience or less pedigree, there is a disparity that cannot be explained by just um, maybe they just believe in their work better. Or they're better authors like that. That can't be an excuse. That is an excuse. The thing um, about these advances, though, is, you know, it's how much like you said, it's how much the publishers believe in these authors like this they're like okay like this isn't gonna sell as much so here's here's like a lower advance and the thing is like these these advances are self-fulfilling prophecies because you know the lower the advance like the less money that these publishers are going to spend on marketing and that that means that there's less exposure uh less distribution so that means readers will not be able to read as widely as they would for a book. Right. And then that feedback loop gets looped back. And then they say, well, last time we took a chance on this author and paid them this much, it made this much. So we're going to pay you less because we don't think there's a market for your book. And that is how this behavior becomes systemic because the data, like people think data is objective. Like, oh, data doesn't lie, but data can be taught. And a lot of times data is taught to be racist. 
um, especially in how people read it, you know? And then that data becomes the reason to be racist, like unconsciously, right? It's, it's, it's so like, as with every other thing that's being like reckoned with during this, like this cycle of history, um, we should just burn it all down and start from scratch. Like, yeah, like the like, foundation <laughs> is already like, like it's so broken. Might as well burn yeah. it all down and, and start over. <laughs> um, and like the publishing industry, they had a day of action, uh, which happened on June 8th. And uh, the day of action was, you know, uh, like over a thousand publishing employees. They, uh, you know, they donated their day's pay to like black organizations and the Equal Justice Initiative. Uh, they spent the day, um, you know, working more on getting black authors published and participate participating in protests and uh, pretty much like you know trying to figure out like how to diversify their workforce um i'm sure it didn't just end but like end like i'm pretty sure it wasn't just like a day worth of action it was like the start it was like the starting point um so there is like publishing knows what's what's up but publishing is so behind the curve. Like I would say publishing is about like three years behind other mediums when it comes to implementing change. And that's including the fact that the other mediums are also like years behind the curve in general. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like We Need Diverse Books got founded uh, in late 2015. And like, if you look at the data between... uh children's books that were published by uh authors of color compared to now like it took it took that long for us to get those numbers and like the number is still not high enough yeah well the plus side of chaos is it gives the world a chance to rebuild itself um and you know it's actually a trope that we've seen in a lot of like genre fiction right the world that emerges from like this time period um, it can't be, we can't go back to wh- what it was. It has to be something new, right? And I hope it's something new. It seems like we want something new. It seems like a lot of people are fed up of staying silent and like kind of putting their heads down. Like we have this chance to really rebuild a new world that we want to live in. And so um, I want to like commend all, like we said in the beginning, like all the people who have spoken out, who have been courageous enough to speak out against injustice, inequality, um, and discrimination that they've seen in their industry and really bring it to the light because um, like it's a, it's the thing with like modern politics, right? Like we can't assume people will do the right thing because they are good. We have to force them to do the right thing so they don't look bad, you know? And when we're dealing with you no know, politicians or corporations that are treated like people, I mean, that's that's really the only way we can institute change right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to end the episode on a on a bummer, but yes, um, that, that is an yeah, optimistic I mean, spin on it. Yeah. <laughs> I think um, like, yeah, like I, I have to believe that what's happening today, what's happening now will lead to 
a better publishing industry, a better media industry, a better country, a better world. I just think about so I, I just think about all of the really talented people of color who, you know, had dreams of breaking into the publishing industry, who wrote really great books, but then they got churned down. Because these yeah. publishers said that their books won't sell or that, you know, we already have a black author like that we're publishing <laughs> this year. Like, you know that those conversations happen. And it's just really discouraging to remember, like, how many creators we lost. And, you know, like, yeah. I, I hope all of this, um, like, I hope all of this, like, counts in the future. <laughs> like, I, I hope yeah. that, like, it things do change. I'm... A really cynical person and uh <laughs> i don't like personally i don't think anything is going to change for another five years but you know you just have to keep trying i mean if there's ever a time for change it's now right so um to everyone listening for everyone who has stuck around this past hour listening to us on go over the book news like it's it's on all of us to really um, speak out to amplify voices to signal boost and to show the publishing industry and the market in general like what we demand and like we demand better representation we demand better treatment we demand a more just and equal world um, and like if there's ever been a time to like kind of be vocal about that it's now yeah we're definitely seeing it all across industry like across all yeah. industries so yeah it is it is a very big moment right now <laughs> um take advantage of it so yeah no retweet boost um talk to people about the hashtag movements however you can contribute in your own way using your your personal clout your personal like just um voice you know no matter what medium it takes place it doesn't have to be in social media even talking to people your friends about like what you're reading, what you're seeing, what you believe in, and like kind of getting those conversations going, will will trickle down. Because if, if all of us do that, like the you know there is that ripple effect. So, um, yeah, I mean we all we all resist, we all revolt in our own way, and the important thing is that we 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 uh, rise up together, right? Yep. Yep. Well said. Well said. <laughs> um. <laughs> Uh, for okay, so like I'll remind folks what we're reading for the month of June. I know it's it it is like a wild month. Uh, hang in there. So our June 2020 book club pick is Convenience Store Women by Sayaka Murata. Um, I took a peek at our Goodreads forums, and people are telling me that this is not the happy book that <laughs> the lighthearted <laughs> book that we expected and i'm really sorry for recommending something that didn't end up being a break from uh what is happening in the world you know what it's it's still um i think it's still a a good book to read so don't even worry about it i think um you know we tried <laughs> I mean, keep in mind that I try to pick books that I personally have not read. So anything I say before before our discussion episode, please take it with uh, yeah um, with a grain of salt, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, and with that, that'll also do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, thanks, Vera. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. 
You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Kathy, Kim, Steve, what's going on? Tell me, what do you know about K-dramas? Oh, um, they have something to do with the drama that comes from K-cup coffee pots, because you know they're bad for the environment? Uh, no. Oh, you mean Korean dramas? Yeah, I know that they are very grounded in reality. No, that's actually the opposite of what happens. It, it sounds like you don't know anything about K-dramas. Yeah, I was just guessing. That's actually perfect. Remember Will, Phil, and Joanna did that Korean drama podcast? Yeah, they saw Boys Over Flowers. Yes, and people apparently listen to it and want another season. But Will and Phil are still recovering from that season. Oh my god, are they okay? I did hear they tried to give themselves amnesia. Oh, is that a K-drama thing? Yeah, pretty much. So, are you guys down to help out with the new season of the Korean drama podcast? So we're going to be watching a K-drama this time? Which one? Secret Garden, from 2010. It was a big hit. And if you're down, check out the Korean Drama Podcast at koreandramapod.com. Kaja! Am I going to see sauna towel buns?